So, Quinn, it's been over four months since we've done a podcast, but it also feels like we just did a podcast last week because time has broken, partially because we had no official sports until this weekend. And without a sports calendar, time is a flat, meaningless circle. Um, So we've time-traveled from March 11th to today, June 28th, July 28th, and... Sports are back. Who knew that time travel would be so scary? Because it's been a <laughs> scary four months. Like if you just think back, you're just like fear and anxiety. The four months of four months since sports. Well, I mean, it was kind of like some of the like space travel into deep time warp things. Talk a lot about like the mundane nature of like sitting in a time capsule. And there was like that for a couple months. Yeah. It's like in your apartment, you had Netflix, which was better <laughs> than uh, floating through space. Um, but what a trip, man. 2020 has come full force in so many ways, but we are back, headphones on, ready to talk about. Well, I'm Derek. I'm Quinn. And this is the Denverse. And last July, we were down in Vegas for Summer League, expecting to see Bull Bull play his first games for the Nuggets along with Michael Porter Jr. And this July, we're actually getting to see that in the flesh. Well, not in the flesh because we can't go there <laughs> virtually. On illegal streams because altitude is blacked out. <laughs> um, it it really is hard to believe that this is where we are, July 2020. Yeah, I mean, just as a clarification, I see illegal streams the way anti-maskers see mask mandates. It's like it's not actually a law. It's just what you want me to do. But I'm a free human in America, so I'm not. Um, Technically, it isn't our fault. Like we can't. As far as I know, we cannot get in trouble for the streams. The sites get in trouble for the streams. If we download, we can get in trouble, but we're safe. Yeah, that's... uh, And I'm not going to research anymore to find out if I'm wrong. Exactly. Ignorance (laughs) is bliss, but I can't wait for, like, the Supreme Court decision, and I will be there on the steps, like, banging drums, advocating for the freedom of streams. Um, But, yeah, here we are. Uh, The NBA restart is now like up and fully running the nuggets have done three scrimmages um bull bull prominent in all three scrimmages making some plays great in his debut great in his second game played a little less in this last game mainly because they actually had a full roster yeah um shout out to tall ball uh the two games it was a fun thing to watch with Jokic at point guard. I think the average height of that lineup was like six foot ten. Um, it was a beautiful thing to see, and I hope we never have to see it in meaningful minutes ever, ever again. So let's get into it right now. Just sort of bring everyone up to speed. What is happening with all of the leagues? What are the restart plans? And there are two plans right now. The bubble and the no bubble. <laughs> and as we have quickly found out, the no bubble is working less well than the bubble. Yeah, I think it's fair to say the two plans are plan and no plan. <laughs> um, so we have NBA and NHL who have dedicated bubbles. The NBA is at Disney World, and they've been there for three weeks. Well, sort of three weeks. They haven't let people in until they cleared coronavirus, which we think has been the Nuggets problem, mm-hmm. was that basically half the team had coronavirus, including Jokic, who is the only one we know for sure had coronavirus. And so they've been like trickling in. The guys in the bubble have been swimming at pools and fishing and golfing and like 
having the time of their lives. They're basically like the people that can't afford to go to Disney World but can't afford the hotel. Uh-huh. That's what they've been doing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they start playing an eight-game season uh, starting on Saturday. This Saturday. Um, yeah, well, just one thing that Bubba want to shout out to um, guard for the Clippers, Lou Williams, who violated quarantine by going to a strip club in Miami or Atlanta to get chicken wings. Uh, he swears he didn't go for the strippers, but the wings were alluring enough for him to break quarantine. It was like Hooters Maximum. You go there for the wings. <laughs> yeah. Um, the best part about that story to me was <laughs> his friend posted an Instagram p- picture of him and then took the picture down and said, guys, that was an old picture. Yeah, I just miss him. <laughs> and his friend is a, uh, like I think, like 20-year-old white rapper who just hit the scene. It was... It was just like, okay, that's a great little slice of 2020. There's, like, levity to it, but it also has real consequences for the bubble because he, I think he was, Lou Williams was supposed to go to a funeral, and on the way to the funeral, <laughs> got chicken wings at the strip club with this 20-year-old rapper. Um, so shout-out to our Nuggets, who have had better behavior, but it does seem that half of the team had coronavirus at some point. There was videos of MPJ and Monte Morris at a birthday party, um, certainly no masks. And it was like it was like a rich boxer's birthday party, but looked like a Westminster apartment that they were in. Like terrible ventilation, not a lot of room. But I think everyone now is back, is like in the bubble, even if they're not fully cleared to play. Yeah, I think that's right. The my other favorite bubble story was, and I can't remember which player it was. He ordered DoorDash and crossed the street instead of having the DoorDash guy come to him. He crossed the street. And then had to quarantine for 14 <laughs> <Yeah>. days. <laughs> well, that's so many of those stories are getting out because they have the snitch line. Yeah. Um, where <laughs> players have been calling on one another or people within the organization, which is such a huge conflict of interest. I would definitely call and say, I saw LeBron James like sharing an inhaler with someone in downtown Orlando. Because at least just have to investigate. That's going to take away at least a day or so from his practicing. Well, in the second or third round, the Nuggets need to do that. Yeah, right. Um, so the NHL is also going into a bubble system. They've been doing training camp. The Avs had been here. And now they're heading to Edmonton, which is where the West is playing their games. <laughs> it's a 24-team tournament. The Avs are going to play three round-robin games against the Blues, the Golden Knights, and the Stars. And whoever does the best in those three games will get the first seed in the West. Mm. So it's a battle for the four seeds. And then all the other teams, the other eight teams in the West, are playing best of five series. And the top, the teams that win those series will then play the top four teams. And then we go into a regular Stanley Cup bracket. I One, appreciate we have Disney World on one end and then Edmonton on the other. Uh, which we, I've had beef. Yeah, I forgot my <laughs> beef with Edmonton. Um, but actually, I just have to thank the city for hosting the NHL nonetheless. Um, but it's funny that the NHL's bubble system is equally as complicated as their drafting system. Um, but it, I think we have the most hope that the NHL will work out. Yeah, partially because they went to Canada. And keeping ca- Canada's priorities straight, they refused to let the Blue Jays <laughs> come back and play home games in Toronto. <laughs> but they are hosting... Six or 12 NHL teams in Toronto as we speak, and the Blue Jays had to move to Buffalo. <laughs> like, they were like, We 
do not care what you think. We're going to send you to arguably known as the worst sports city other than Cleveland in the United States to play your games. Well, I really would love to see a Blue Jays mafia get born out of the Buffalo fandoms. <laughs> like, you can't go in the stadium, but I hope they're still jumping through tables <laughs> to support their new short-term hometown team. Well, and that brings us to Major League Baseball, who at one point were talking about bubbles at their spring training locations and threw that out because the players were like, we can't handle it. They're playing a 60-game season, which is equivalent basically to the number of days that the NHL and NBA players who go to the finals will be playing. Um, And they're going to let 16 teams in the playoffs. So this is the hope for the Rockies. They're going to let two teams from each division make the playoffs and then two wildcard teams for each league. So the hope for the Rockies is the Dodgers get number one and somehow the Rockies get the number two spot or are good enough of the rest of the pool, which seemed crazy. But after three games, like really kept it together. And with the way that things are going, three games is 5% of their schedule. So... (laughs) (laughs) um, Unfortunately, the Rockies were fine in Toronto, or I'm sorry, in uh, the Rangers, Texas, Texas, Texas and Toronto. Easy to confuse. Um, But the Miami Marlins went into Philadelphia and just had a COVID party, basically. It it was just as bad as what those rumors we've heard about in Texas. Um, They are up to 17 people with a team that have COVID. It started with one player on Friday. No one knew about it. Then on Sunday, they had three players and were like, we're going to play. What's the worst that could happen? Now 17 people within the organization have COVID. It has caused the cancellation of their their two-game series against the Baltimore Orioles. And Philadelphia is having to quarantine because the they were supposed to play the Yankees, but they hosted the Marlins. Yeah. And they're worried about getting COVID. Wait, wait, wait. So they knew a player was sick on Friday. Played the series knowing that by Sunday three other people had it. They were not letting those people play. Oh. But basically from what the experts have said, three people means that you have an outbreak. And because of the way that COVID works, you're not going to see the results of who has it for three to five days, in some cases seven days. So the guy on Friday, if he gives it to everybody else, it's going to take maybe up to a week to know who he gave it to. And then those people are all giving it to people. So baseball is in this place where the bubble, they had no bubble. They had no plan. Like there was no like threshold to like, if four players get it, you have to cancel the game, which is how they ended up playing that game on Sunday. And these reports keep coming out that the Phillies don't have any positive tests, but we're still four to five days away from knowing for sure. Yeah. And meanwhile, baseball is trying to start playing games maybe this week, because if you lose a whole week, that's a tenth of your season. <laughs> and it's like that dominoes. I think the way their season is set up that like East Coast teams are only playing East Coast teams. Yeah, so it would take out like it could take out the whole uh American League East and National League East because of this, but that would still leave the Central and the West in both leagues. Mm-hmm. But Miami, I mean in we all know there are a lot of problems with Miami just in general. Like, they're not a good team to begin with. I thought you meant the city. No. Well, I mean, well, there's, yeah. <laughs> there's layers to peel back on that. Um, and then, but they didn't even make it a weekend. They hadn't even done travel yet. Like, this is 
it's re- it's really bad news, and it's something that the other two non-bubble sports of sports that we cover have to be worried about. So the NFL is starting training camp today. But training camp today means, like, working out for the next few weeks, and then they're going to have 28 days of regular organized team activities, no preseason, and then they're just going to go about their life as if nothing has happened. In, like, to the point, training camp, this is the most Broncos players in the same place since the end of the season. And since Salmos blew that game to the Raiders. Yeah. Gah. Life was so much easier back then. <laughs> um, and I know that they're, like, they're doing testing, but it's not like we may not even get a week into training camp without an outbreak somewhere, which is going to slow things down. And the NFL schedule isn't quote-unquote quarantined in terms of... Um, it's actually the opposite. Region. Sometimes the training camps, they force players to stay at a hotel. And they said, you can't force people to stay at a hotel this year. And so the Broncos are wearing tracking wristbands. So they'll be able to know who they've come within six feet of in case they get COVID. But it's 80 guys in the locker room. They cut the roster down from 90, plus all of the team personnel. And, you know, Vic Fangio, the, like, basically the oldest first-time head coach of all time, someone you worry about. And, like, also for the Broncos, this is a bad situation. They're going to have no preseason games and they have an entirely new offense coming back with Drew Locke and a bunch of receivers that he's never been on the field with before. I I told my dear friend Ryan, who is like now a prophet of fantasy football. Like he just listen he listens to fantasy football podcasts in the offseason, which is so weird to me. I told him I was like, enjoy those four games because there's no no way the NFL is getting through an entire season, at least not week in, week out. Well, and that, to me, I think that they need to quickly change to some sort of bubble model. And I've come up with two ideas for this off the top of my head. The first one is you would have, so let's say you get the whole AFC West together, have them play their six games, and then swap the teams out. So then have like the Broncos go with like the Colts and the Titans and stuff. Well, it can't be the Titans, but have them go with four teams outside, have them bubble for a few weeks, play all of their games and try to like mismatch the schedule together. Mm. But like, so have many bubbles and then have time off in between. The second idea I have is just put eight teams together, have them play everybody twice. And that gives you a 14 game season. I don't think they're going to do either of those, but a full bubble is really hard. That's 3,200 people, basically, that would have to be in the bubble. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, NFL staffs are just so huge that, like, the NBA had to cleave part of their personnel mm-hmm. to travel. Um, and, and that was just because Disney hotel rates are really expensive. <laughs> um, but, I mean, the NFL is, like, has endless amounts of money but it seems that they haven't, like, the most precautions they've seemed to take are these wristbands, and they're prototyping these face guards for the face masks, which I feel like, oh, that, that could have, like, always existed, for one, but it certainly doesn't... Well, and then, like, thinking today, players are already opting out. 
Uh, I know one Bronco has, but like six Patriots players have. Yeah, which has just spurred controversy because uh, Taylor Lawrence is going to be out. Uh, is it Taylor? Trevor. Trevor. Trevor Lawrence is going to be out um, after this season, who is the long-haired uh, prodigy son that seems like he could be the next Tom Brady. I mean, great, but also the NCAA football ain't happening now. So well, and yeah, so that's our fifth sport. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um <laughs> As of right now, the big conferences have, for the most part, canceled any non-conference games. So the Rocky Mountain Showdown is dead, and it's not coming back for a few years at least. It was supposed to be at CSU this year. This was supposed to be revenge for the time that CSU beat CU on their home court when I was a or their home field when I was a freshman. Rushed the field. This was going to be our redemption game. It's gone. (laughs) That is so disrespectful. Um, I love it. (laughs) And so the Pac-12 is thinking about playing a 10-game season. They currently have nine opponents on the schedule. The Buffs would add a 10th team, Oregon State, and play a 10-game season. Also, really unlikely, especially when you think about the Pac-12 having two Arizona schools, four California schools, a school in Seattle. Like, this is... is this, Well, I was watching uh, Real Sports, and they were interviewing the commissioner of the SEC, which, yeah, like... The South has been ablaze with corona for the past several weeks. And how he was unwilling to share how many players had tested positive. Where, like, at LSU, I think, like, 30 members of the team tested positive. And it's, I mean, such a huge controversy because so many schools are going remote for the first semester, but they're bringing in their football players because how much money football earns these schools. Who are still essentially unpaid labor. Yeah. Um, They're children. And I will say, like, you know, we're... uh, CU has a new head coach, Carl Durrell, so you're like, this is going to be hard. But Mel Tucker, former CU coach, he had a COVID outbreak at uh, Michigan State, and they had to quarantine the whole football team for 14 days this week. So, could be worse. (laughs) Um, it Remember is when that was the biggest problem? That was the most upsetting thing to happen is when Mel Tucker betrayed the CU football team. I think that was the last really upsetting thing that happened before all of this just fell apart. Like yeah. that and the outdoor game and all of the parking problems. <laughs> <laughs> um, How good we had it. So that's sort of what the bubbles look like. But I just... And people are saying, like, everyone's being so negative. Like, everyone wants to see this fail. We don't want to see this fail. We want all of this to work. But hope is not a strategy, as Sandy Clough once said about the Rockies. (laughs) And that seems to be the baseball plan and the football plans. Yeah, I'm like, really, the episode that has been 2020 has been so much that I just don't want to see a shit show. I Like, right now, I have a less than 1% belief that the NFL season is going to play out in its entirety in the time frame that it's supposed to. And so from that, I just like, I want to avoid that chaos because we're moving into election season. And we talk, we'll talk next week about like the politics that has been injected into sports and how kind of that's always been a thing. But I just, I don't want any more mess. I just, I, if like the election is to be a terrible spectacle, I want sports to be a uh, a refuge. But if <laughs> like fifteen of my favorite players have COVID and they have to shut down games, and there's exposés on how terrible this was, 
that's that would break me in a way that I'm just not ready for. And I think Cricket the dog agrees with you because yeah. she's just going crazy in the background. Um, well, let's let's move on for now. We'll be <laughs> back. This will not be the last time we talk about COVID. That's for sure. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about Bull Bull and what has transpired with the Nuggets seven two forward. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, the Bull Bull. This has been, as you mentioned, we booked tickets to summer league which I may never do again. Like Vegas is exciting, but it's hot and expensive and summer league is not NBA level basketball. And we're never going to be comfortable in crowds for the rest of our life. Oh my god, dude. <sighs> I know, I remember cuz like I had to go to the bathroom before the Nuggets game started and they wouldn't let people back in and I was like, I have a seat. But I remember like the crush of people pushing into the stadium and how that will never happen. I'm maybe 80 years old. I will never feel comfortable doing that again. Um, but life comes at you fast. We went to Las Vegas because we love our Denver Nuggets, but specifically because there was a chance to see both Michael Porter Jr. and Bull Bull play. Um, so those who don't know Bull Bull, he is the son of one of the NBA's first unicorns in Manut Bull, seven foot six. Um, center out of Sudan, uh, who at the time, like, you've never seen a player. He's seven foot six, skinny as all hell. He's, um, was just incredible to watch, a blocking machine, and he could actually even shoot at the three every once in a while. Um, he was never the greatest player, but a fan darling, and always just stands out because of just what a physical force he was on the court. Uh, his son, oh, Manupo passed away a few years ago, bless, but his son picks up his legacy, uh, was one of the early darlings of the NCAA season, played in Oregon, looked like he could be a beast. I remember sitting at a bar, drinking a beer, watching him play. Um, thing I may never get to do again. He... Played great in Oregon, but then injured his foot and only got eight games in the season and was done. And for he's also a super tall, skinny dude, a stress fracture in the foot is always concerning. So while he had a lot of the physical tools in his ability to block, his ability to shoot, um, he his draft stock dropped because scouts were afraid that he would always be injury prone, which comes into the Denver Nuggets. Now a contender. Who never care about injuries. They're like, we'll take them. Yeah. Put, him, put him on the bus. The Nuggets are was such an interesting position because they have such a solid core of guys that they can take flyers on injury risk, which they did with Michael Porter Jr. And I think even from the hype alone, it was a worthy 15th pick. Mm -hmm. um, Michael Porter Jr. was supposed to be a top three player. Bull Bull was projected top 10 before he got injured. He fell all the way to 42. Um, Nuggets picked him up with the intention of him not playing at all this season. He was still injured. So, I mean, he's seven foot two. I think he came in um, to the Nuggets camp under 200 pounds. Um, and he didn't play that many D-League games or G-League games yeah. either. He played like six. Yeah, uh, just, and it was, I think one of the questions was, I mean, Bobo, lovely dude, but he absolutely has one of the strongest resting bitch faces I've ever seen. He looks 
so over it, no matter what it is, if you just look at him. And so scouts were afraid, like, oh, he's just playing basketball because of his father's legacy. He doesn't love basketball. Um, and so a lot of the, I mean, he also dropped to 52nd. Like, he could have been a multimillionaire, but he's getting paid $50,000 a year. So that had to be a tough break. But there were a lot of just question marks around the dude. Um, and he had, like, good G League games, but nothing that popped off. But boom, Corona hits, Nuggets don't play for four months, and then all of a sudden, a young Bull Bull is now developed, his frame's a little bit bigger, and they put him into the game. I didn't get to see the first game, so Derek, what did you see? Well, as you mentioned, the Nuggets only had one guard on the roster because of all of the guys that couldn't get into the bubble. And so they started Bull Bull along with Jokic and Millsap and Grant and Plumlee. So it was quite the lineup. (laughs) But Bull Bull was very impressive both on the rebounding end and then on the shooting end because not only can he shoot from three, but he and Jokic had a couple of great plays where they'd pass it back and forth and Jokic could find Bull Bull, make the basket. So it's it's like, to me, it's sort of like watching how we saw Dr. J play where they like didn't have the inside game quite figured out. Like Dr. J could go inside, but he also had those short jumpers that were like three feet out mm-hmm. where he'd go straight up and down. That's Bull Bull's whole game because he only needs to go about like a foot to be able to get to the basket. So it's very interesting to watch. I couldn't believe his offense. Something that I've really been noticing and they've been talking about is that he does not understand defense at all, that his arms are big. Like he said in an interview, I found out that if I stick my arms out, it's really hard for people to go around me. (laughs) And it's also very hard if you stick your arms up for anyone to go over you. So that is like his only weakness. But amazing to see, and as someone that watched a game with you in early March against the Lakers, where the size of the Lakers is the Nuggets' biggest weakness, you're just thinking, if he can get into the rotation, that's another big guy and gives them the ability to do a lot of things, which is their biggest weakness as a team against someone like the Lakers or the Pelicans. Yeah, and like one thing that stood out to me, I got to see the last two games, um, was like when he's on the court, he's not timid. Like mm-hmm. he is a shooter. And when we talk about like, well, does he actually want to play basketball? He had me fooled because he looks like someone who's like trying to develop a killer instinct. Um, well, and I think being around Jokic has been very helpful because he's a guy that people are like, did he care or not? And Jokic is clearly like they would sit next to each other on the bench and like obviously they were six feet apart. But they were still talking, and like I think Jokic is the perfect guy for Bull to be like, oh, this is what I could be, except I have a better outside game than Jokic. And Jokic has the passing, I have the outside game. Yeah, and the I mean, blocking, like, he de- he's not good at defense, but he's long. He's so freaking long. Because uh, a 7'2 with a 7'6 wingspan, yeah, he just puts his hand up, and he's contesting everything. It was interesting last game, uh, last night against the Magic, the Magic were hitting every single three that they just chucked up. Uh, Nuggets ended up losing that game, but they came back in part because Bowl turned the motor on. Michael Porter Jr. had a great game. And if there's anything that would make Nuggets Reddit and Nuggets Twitter um, feel like ascended beings is seeing Michael Porter Jr. and Bowl Bowl in meaningful minutes do the things that we have dreamed about um, since those respective draft nights. I mean, kind of causes a problem that still the Nuggets, I think Gary Harris and Monte Morris are slated to play on Saturday, having 
not even really practiced with the Nuggets. Um, but it, once the team is fully healthy by the playoffs, we're going to have like a 13-deep roster. And Malone already doesn't like playing a lot of guys, and especially in playoffs, it's going to shrink. So like we may not, we may have seen the last like good performance from Bull Bull, but he's under contract for a while, super cheap. And and it's interesting just thinking about like what if they get down a bunch in a game? What if someone gets injured? Like they have options, which in this year where we have no idea how the players' bodies are going to react to playing the most intense basketball right out of the gate, it's going to be interesting. And I think that sort of brings us into they have eight games before the playoffs. Everyone's playing eight games. This. They don't have to worry about a playoff spot. They're secured. There's this weird thing going on with the eight and nine seed that no one really cares about. <laughs> um, but they have a chance maybe to pass the Clippers. They could also fall as low as like fifth or sixth. Mm-hmm. And Michael Malone has said he doesn't really care about winning these games. He cares about getting the team into their best shape because home court advantage doesn't matter. There is one scenario that would be great for the Nuggets is if they could sneak into the two seed and the Clippers could somehow fall to the four seed, then they would only have to face either the Lakers and the Clippers in the conference finals. But other than that, like, what what are your thoughts about these eight games? How are you looking at them? Well, I mean, it's thinking about all the priorities we had prior to March 11th. I honestly, I have no expectations with the team. There's been plenty of times, like, in mid-January that the Nuggets lose a completely meaningless game, and it messes up my day. I don't care what happens in the bubble because it's not a real season. It's – I like I just want everyone to remain healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, and they also looked bad. Before the break, thing, the wheels were falling off the Nuggets, let's yeah, be honest. Like, true. it was like they're going to limp into the finish line and they're going to lose in the first round. Yeah, and uh, that's – Right now, I want. I mean, I would love to see Gary Harris come back into form, and he was actually looking better as um, the season rolled on. While like Jokic looked more tired, Murray was having his same like spurts of greatness, spurts of mediocrity. Um, But it it just didn't. It wasn't fun basketball like the last several games. I think Murray came back looking a little chunky and um ready he had a great game yesterday porter jr so i think it takes a long time to become a great nba team mm-hmm. the nuggets limped through the playoffs got punched in the mouth but kept coming back unfortunately just went super cold in game 7 against portland this season i'm not i mean this playoffs i'm not looking them to it's not like be better or bust. I think in this interesting time is really just like sharpening the mental tools and seeing how um, the team adapts to adversity. I mean, the, I think the whole team had Corona at some point besides Paul Millsap. I feel like Paul Millsap stayed at home. Um, so I would just want to see them build chemistry for next year. And if Porter Jr. can like solidify himself into the rotation and bowl announces himself like, I ain't going nowhere. You're going to have to find a spot for me. That is the only success I'm looking for. I think I'm also looking for, I think Murray and 
Barton. We need to see some consistency. Mm. Like, I think that that's something I'm really looking for. I'm looking to see if Harris is going to come back and make meaningful contributions because that was um, that was on the fence. And then I think it's a big playoffs for Grant and Plumley because they're both players that it will be interesting to see if the Nuggets resign. Like Plumley, I thought was going to be gone, but he's been playing pretty well in these games. And I don't know what his value is going to be because there's not going to be a free agent market this year because I was reading today, teams are expecting to lose tens of millions of dollars in the next season. And so I think teams are going to be able to sign people cheaper. Grant is one of those things. He has not played well with Jokic. So do we see something that makes us think that he should be around for a long time? Yeah, that's actually an interesting thing. Uh, Jeremy Grant was supposed to be the heir apparent to Paul Millsap, who... Also, I don't know if he sticks around, like, um, fulfilled his contract. I think if they if the Nuggets do well, he'd be more likely to resign on, a like, a cheap veteran deal. But as deep as this team is, there's so many question marks with the big men past Jokic. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think Plumlee, he leaves too much on the floor offensively. Like... To this day, my theory is if he has more than a second to think, he's going to miss the shot. He is an incredible instinct player, but especially in the playoffs, he's, I think he's going to get exploited the same way he did. Like The Nuggets failed because their bench failed last playoffs, and I think with this truncated everything, the way it's truncated, is that he's, his weaknesses are going to be exploited. They're going to hack him more. He's going to fail at the free throw line, and I think he's... He's a good motor dude, but I don't think he shines anywhere that the Nuggets need help, and he certainly doesn't fit the status quo in terms of shooting. Jeremy Grant does better, but yeah, he has definitely looked lost a lot. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see. I think the thing that's so interesting is if they just have a couple of guys take a big step in the playoffs, They, I feel like they're one of the top three teams in the West. They need like They need more than just Jokic. And that was what they didn't have last year. They just had, on a game-in, game-out basis, they had Jokic and literally no one else. Yeah, I think Murray's floor has to rise for sure. So it's going to be interesting to see. And, I mean, it's I really want them to get out of the first round because, I mean, I don't think we're putting too much stock in these eight games. I think I think they should be a second-round team. And there's there are a couple draws that can make that hard. Houston would be a hard draw. Utah would be a hard draw. Um, but... It starts on Saturday, so I guess I guess we'll have much more to say about that. Um, wanted to talk real quick before the end about the Rockies' first weekend and what they need to do to make it to the postseason. Um, as I mentioned, 16 teams get in. There are four of those spots that the Rockies have a chance at. They you know, are coming a year removed from a 91 season, but they dropped 20 games in the win column as from last year. Um, from the first series, though, the pitching was really good, and that was where you you have to have good starting pitching to have a chance for the Rockies. Marquez, Gray, and Freeland all had great games. It was great to see Freeland being in control of his pitches. Yeah, dude. Like that was that was the biggest sign that like maybe they have a chance to hold it together. They only need like thirty two wins. They just need to be just above five hundred, <laughs> and so that was really exciting. Sinzatella is going to go tonight, so that's your four starters. We don't know who the fifth starter is right now. And the bullpen was looking better. First of all, the fact that they got rid of Brian Shaw and Jake McGee was a huge, like, okay, we're willing to move on from our mistakes moment. 
Well, yeah, Brian Shaw recently blamed Coors Field for his bad pitching woes when his worst games were on the road. Yeah, and it it was really, you know, you could say, like, win-loss hits, like, it could be situational. He had, like, one and a half more strikeouts a game at home than on the road. He was averaging, like, almost two walks to strikeout rate or strikeout-to-walk ratio better at Coors Field. He was better at Coors Field. There is no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, but he was terrible overall. Yeah, like better at Coors Field still means bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they're gone. Uh, Daniel Bard was the big story of the weekend, obviously. Uh, hadn't pitched in the majors since 2013. Hadn't had a win since 2012. Ended up coming in, pitching uh, one or two scoreless innings, I can't remember. Getting the win for the Rockies. So it was like, it was like the third longest space between wins and in Major League Baseball history, but just, like, a really good story. And maybe not having fans in the stands was helpful in, like, his resurgence. So maybe a positive of coronavirus. Yeah, I mean, in the same way they say the NBA free throws in three points may um, rise because of the lack of distraction. I can see a lot of areas where baseball players get better because the pressure from the fans aren't there. Yeah, and so two out of three in their first series was good. The hitting wasn't great. Trevor Story had two home runs in the last game. That was the only home runs they had yeah. in the series. So that needs to be better. And they really can't ride out long uh, hitting slumps for anybody. So everyone's on the block. Um, Matt Kemp getting the first RBI of the season for the Rockies was very weird. Former Rockies killer for the Dodgers. Which I still wanted Puig. That was such a weird thing when they signed I Matt know. Kemp. Like, because I thought he was out of the league, then he came back and had that great year for the Dodgers, um, and then didn't really play last year. So, it'll be interesting to see. We'll definitely check in on the Rockies, but like, basically, they need to win as many series as possible and they have a chance. Yeah, I'm, like looking at their lineup, they've got like Ryan McMahon, especially David Dahl, were two dudes that I was always like, I don't, I don't know, I don't believe you. I don't even want to believe you. I think that they're due to have good seasons, and if we can rely on Nolan and Trevor. And Blackman, he had a tough series, uh, but he's a a vet that you can trust to get into the swing of things. The The Rockies have should have a great offense this year. And, yeah, if the, the great thing is, like, is this, like, the longest consistent lineup the Rockies have ever had in terms of pitching? Like, season in and season out. I think 2009 was probably better because it had like the remnants of 2007 and they got uh-huh. a couple pieces, but like and obviously Jimenez is still those two years were really the best the best ever of Rockies pitching, but I mean Marquez if he pitches like he did in the first game like could be at that level. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see um also just wanted to mention before before we go that the Avs play their first game on Sunday against the Blues and those three games I was talking about they'll play the Blues on Saturday on Sunday and then I think they have the Stars Wednesday and the Knights Friday or Saturday next week. So those three games are sort of important but again no home ice advantage. It's just sort of like it would be better because they could play the worst teams because they reseed in mm-hmm. the NHL. Um a couple of things to look for um they're going to play a scrimmage tomorrow. Bowen Byram, the number one uh, one pick for the Avs, third overall last year, um, <laughs> is probably going to play in that scrimmage. And 
he could play in some of the playoff games, depending on what's going on with the defense. A uh, quick question. Does this stretch of play count toward um, the like regular season awards, like MVP and No, so this it's all over for that. These are going to go in as playoff games and points, which means that we could see inflated playoff points mm. from people. But it's going to... It's it's only going to go for postseason, which really only hurts Alexander Ovechkin and his chance to try to catch Wayne Gretzky for most goals all time. Um, they're all going to be healthy. So I don't know if you remember, but right before this happened, McKinnon got hurt, and everybody was hurt for the Avs. And now everybody basically except for Colin Wilson is back with the Avs. Well, yeah, fully healthy Mika Rantanen, which hasn't happened all yeah. season. Um, you have Kadri, he's going to be back, Don Skoy. So it's going to be, it's going to be fun to see that the defensemen are all healthy and Grubauer is looking healthy. And I just wanted to mention, so Grubauer looks like the clear starter right now, but Franco played well, had one of the top goals against averages in the league. And Grubauer might have a short leash because he has a history of playing, not playing well, in when he was with the Capitals the year they won the Stanley Cup, he played the first few games in that series, got pulled for Holtby, and then Holtby rode it out to the Stanley Cup and won. Mm-hmm. So there is that precedent where it's like if Grubauer isn't sharp to begin the playoffs, he he might be pulled quickly and and he may never get the starting job back. I mean that's tough. Uh, as fans, I think we have like an elevated. Like it's fun to root for Grubauer because he was like the underdog um, last season or two seasons ago yeah, under Verlamov, and then Francois came out of nowhere when the Avs were really struggling for goalkeepers. But like neither, neither of them are Varlamov. Yeah, I think that that's the thing. Like it's like we're not too married to it. It would be much harder if it was Varley and someone else where we're like we've rooted for you for years. And now we're like, we just want to get rid yeah. of it. Yeah. Well, like a fully healthy Avs should be great on offense, but it's still it's like a question mark. Who is going to be in goal? Who is that anchor? Um, so both, I think, have a lot to prove, which hopefully that elevates their level of play. Well, so glad we got to do this. It's great yeah, to dude, just talk about back sports. at it. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, until next time, I'm Derek. I'm Quinn. See ya.